from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And we are in the house with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show podcast. We are live tonight with questions uh, from listeners coming to us from around the world. We've had everyone checking in already. I'm about to start taking questions. Uh, this evening, I have listeners in Guyana. I have listeners in Canada. I have listeners in Trinidad and Tobago. I have listeners in Glasgow, Scotland, all throughout the United States and around the world. And I love taking your questions. We're looking at the idea of breakups, but we are not limiting uh, the questions in this lightning round, as I never do. I love it when I get caught off guard or some fresh question, but uh, particularly with podcast, uh, excuse me, with uh, breakup issues, but not specifically breakup issues. And uh, I'm just going to answer a fun one right off the top that really has nothing to do with anything, but this is from Tish888. And she asks, can I ask you why in all of your videos that you put up on TikTok and Instagram and everywhere else, you're always in the woods when you do your videos? I get this a lot. So we're starting it off light. And I will tell you because I have woods on my property. And one day I happen to be out there and I'm like, hey, shh. You know what? I have an idea. And I was splitting wood. And so I just put it down. And I had, you know, my my uh, camera, my phone over there by my coffee. And so I just propped it up and I made the first one. And I figured, you know what? The background is a hell of a lot better than, you know, a ceiling or a wall or a plant or whatever. And so at the very least, it gives you something to look at other than my ugly mug. All right, let's get it going. What are the questions you guys have for me today? I'm here for you. Give me your questions, and I'm, I've been counseling for 30 years, and like I said, uh, this is going to be a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show podcast. Here we go. Um, so, MB Fisher 81 says, I was married twice, and I'm 41. Is it me, or will I find the right one? This is a great question, and I actually get this, you know, as people have their first divorce or sometimes their second divorce going into their 40s or in their 50s, one of the issues is, shit, I'm getting old. Nobody's going to fucking want me, and the pool of candidates is is narrowing, and technically the pool of candidates is opening up because I, there are as many people getting divorced as married, and so it opens up. And But your question is, is it me? In other words, is there something wrong with me that I've been married twice at 41? And I'm going to tell you something. I had been married twice by 41. And uh, I was single for a number of years, and then I was in my uh, late 40s, and I met a wonderful woman. I've been in a relationship for about nine years. And uh, best relationship I've ever had. But let me tell you the difference between previous relationships and future relationships for you. And it's simply this. Are you going to do the work? Are you going to do the work? And we all talk about doing the work of therapy. Oh, you got to do the work. Hey, do the work. Do the work. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? It means you got to go inside to any every single memory that you have from your, I mean, depending on how thorough you want to be. What real therapy is, what real self-healing, self-help, self-love, self-care is really about is that you go into your past, you find every single, you go into your love cup and you find every single memory that has an emotional charge attached to it. In other words, when you think about it, it's like, oh, fuck, I get embarrassed when I think, ah, oh, God, I can't believe I said that. Or where you think about, oh, when he did that to me, I'm so, I'm still fucking pissed about that. Or, you know, when um, that friend of mine said that, it really hurt my feelings and I still feel it today. Or the things you, you avoid, 
because you don't want to feel the feelings. All of that shit, that is the shit. Those emotional charges are what are corrupting our decision-making in career, in parenting, in love, in friendships, in where we live, how we live, how we dress, our appetite, our diet, our finances, everything. It affects everything. Think about it this way. If you get yelled at by your boss unjustly and one of your coworkers snickers at you, all right? And so now you've been yelled at by your boss unjustly and some dickhead yelled at you or uh, laughed at you and you're driving home and on your drive home, somebody cuts you off, all right? Are you not more inclined to say, you fucker, you cut me off, blah, 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 and swear at him and, and give him the middle finger? When you're amped up, already emotionally charged from the stuff that happened unfairly at work, I know that when I'm charged, that it is a natural human response than when we are charged. When we have strong feelings inside of us, we make decisions, we do things that we might not otherwise do if we weren't worked up. So then isn't it reasonable to assume that if you have memories from your past that have strong emotional charges attached to them, that they are impacting, even if they're not in the front of your brain, they are impacting your decision-making in your everyday and in your uh, the long-term decisions and me medium decisions that you're making in your life. Of course it is. And one of the things that I find with people who are really struggling in life is they have memories in their life that they don't want to touch, or they have truths in their life they don't want to touch. I was just interviewing a young man for, uh, uh, we were having a, a guest on our show, and this young man talked about several incidences in, uh, incidents in his past that he didn't want to touch in his journaling. And because he's basically, they were so loaded and he was afraid of what he would see and the truths he would have to admit and how that would make him feel. So very often in life, we avoid, we run. You've heard me say it before. We, there's that tidal wave of feelings and memories from our past chasing us, chasing us. And we run and we stay busy and we surround ourselves with chaos and we overwork and we overparent and we overexercise and we overeat and we gamble and we cheat and we do all these things to stay running, to keep ourselves distracted. We engage in self-medication, we booze, we take the pills, or too much weed, too much swiping and scrolling, too much gaming, all these things. None of those things in and of themselves is intrinsically bad, but we do it so much as a way to run from the pain. If you're running from the pain, that shit is corrupting your decision-making and everything you do moving forward. So that is an extraordinarily long-winded answer as a way of saying, is it, you ask, uh, MB Fisher says, I was married twice, I'm 41. Is it me or will I find the right one? You'll find the right one if you have the courage to be the authentic you, which requires getting all of the pain and all the shit and all the bullshit from your life out of you so that it's not corrupting all of your decision-making and your own sense of inner peace. All right, next question. What do you guys got for me? How do I forgive and move on? Uh, first of all, you don't have to forgive. Forgiveness is not the point. Forgiveness gets sold as sort of a panacea. It's the cure-all and so on and so forth. The goal isn't to forgive. Well, you certainly don't do it by just stuffing it down. And very often when we forgive, we're taking the feelings that we actually feel and we're saying, well, I forgive the person, but we stuff the feelings down. Now, I'm not saying you ever have to go and confront the person. I, I can heal you. I don't give two shits if you confront the person or not. And I don't even care if you forgive them or not. That is not what's important for you to move on healthy. What you do have to do is you have to get out all of the feelings. You have to flush out all you feel, which is why you, always, you guys always hear me harping on journaling, writing letters you don't send, counseling, if that works for you, writing poetry, finding, at the very least, find music that has lyrics that expresses the truths of what you are feeling. We need words. Words are healing. 
my mother, before she passed away, who had been doing the work that I do for 65 years, and she always said, naming the beast is half the problem. You have to give it words. You have to name it. You move on by sitting in it first, by not moving on, by holding on to those feelings, welcoming those feelings, allowing them to flush out, and putting them down in writing, giving them words. That's how you move on. And you don't have to forgive, but you sure as hell got to get all that stuff out of you. All right, next question. Uh, someone says, thinking about seeing a hypnotherapist. Uh, this is jp.lex asking the question, thinking about seeing a hypnotherapist. Though technically it's not a question. There's no inflection in my voice. There's no question mark. What's the question? So I'm just going to take it as, should I do it? Should I not do it? I'm all for trying new things. And I'll be very honest with you. Back when I was in my early 20s, I uh, taught myself self-hypnosis. And to some degree, I am a believer in hypnotherapy. I am. I believe it can be a powerful tool. However, I don't believe in really anything more than I believe in, you still got to get not just the pain out, you have to put words to your shit. So in conjunction with journaling and counseling and using the Sedona method and so on and so forth, I think it can be, can be a powerful thing. All right, next question. How do you know when a long distance relationship won't work out? Well, the mere fact that you're asking that question says you are having a feeling that your long distance relationship in all likelihood isn't quite feeling the way you want to feel it. How do you know when it won't work out? In a way, that's the wrong question. The right question is, how am I feeling? How am I feeling? The right question is always, how am I feeling? You guys remember that um, episode of Star Wars? And Anakin Skywalker goes before the Jedi Council, right? You remember this? He's before the Jedi Council. The first time they're meeting Anakin Skywalker, who we know will become Darth Vader. Right, okay. I still think the best thing about that episode, though, is that music. And I'll replay that fucking scene on YouTube, like when I'm writing and I'm in a total zone. I got a little bit of caffeine in me. And it's in music, it's called an ostinato. It's a repeated phrase over and over. Okay. Anyway, not the point. I know nothing about music, but boy, I love it when it's good. Anyway, he comes before the Jedi Council. And I think it's Yoda who says, little Anakin, kiddo, whatever. What are you feeling? Think about that. Why the fuck do the Jedis care about fucking feelings? I thought feelings don't matter. I thought that's for wusses. And yes, I do realize we're dealing with a fiction movie here. But nonetheless, the potentially the greatest movie series of all time, or certainly in the top three. And that question... Well, first of all, for those of, the, of you that don't know, George Lucas based his entire Star Wars series on the writings of whom? my favorite writer of all time, Joseph Campbell. If you're not familiar with Joseph Campbell, um, that's your one life mistake up to this point. You need to rectify that. Big in the 80s, power of myth, but the hero of a thousand faces prior to that uh, is what put him on the map. And the Star Wars series is largely uh, and tightly based on Hero with a Thousand Faces, the work of Joseph Campbell. Anyway, back to this. The significance is that for the warrior in the Hero of a Thousand Faces, that the one thread running through all of the myth, myth systems of the world is that the way we begin to communicate, the way we begin to communicate with the gods, the way we begin to communicate with our own self, the way we begin to gain an all sense of authenticity and find our own inner authentic hero voice is by what? We feel. Yoda asks young Anakin, what do you feel? And he says, I feel cold. It sounds like a throwaway line from a movie, but that's where it starts. Do you know how many people can't name what they feel? 
How many people were sold a bunch of shit that feelings don't matter? Your feelings are your GPS system. Now, first, you have to get out all the pain because that pain is corrupting the internal gyroscopes of your uh, GPS system, as well as the beliefs you were taught about yourself. And you got to go deep dive on that because you, your conscious mind doesn't know it's down deep. It's in there. Trust me, I do this shit every fucking day. My producers get sick of hearing me do this with all the people that we work with in our, uh, in our show. I'm teasing. They don't get sick of it. They love it. But um, it's in there. But ultimately, what you sense, your intuition, your communication with your own soul, with your intuition, that is your GPS system. That is where it's sort of the Jedi mind. That is sort of where our greatest power, our sense of flow comes from. And in order to get that, you have to begin to get the pain out. And you know when a long-distance relationship or any relationship is beginning to go wrong based on how it feels. Does it feel good anymore? What is the trajectory? Is it trending up? Are things going well or is it trending down? Furthermore, am I making my needs met? And when I'm making my needs and wants met, are they being reciprocated? Are they being met by my partner? And am I meeting their needs met? But everything starts with how does it feel? And do you have the courage to be honest with yourself in the answering of that question? And if it does feel bad are we on is this just a one week blip like a drop in in a stock or a one day blip a one month blip or is this sort of where things have been trending and then do you have the courage to be honest and admit they've been trending down for quite some time and i've been holding on to something that needs to be put to bed next question uh just phil 73 says is 27 years worth reconciliation after an affair um confusing question is was the affair 27 years or you've been married 27 years, there's been an affair, and is it worth reconciling? Um, anything is worth reconciling if you want to reconcile. And so the question becomes, do you really want to reconcile? I always grill my clients pretty fucking hard if someone is cheating on them. And if they choose, I always tell my clients, what you choose to do when you walk out the door of my office, hey, God bless you, I support you 100%. I mean, unless you're fucking goats or flashing children in the park, I'll support you 100%, all right? Um, and so if they want to go back to someone after that person has cheated on them in the end at, but I'm going to dig around and I'm going to find the fucking blind spots. And as after we discuss it all, if you want to go back hundred percent, I support you, go for it. But generally speaking, I'm highly skeptical of someone going back after an affair because usually they're being hoodwinked. Usually the other person hasn't changed. And now if you want to go back after they have changed and they've exhibited change over an extended period of time, a significant period of time, that's a wise choice. But if you're going back as, oh, I miss them, or oh, my religion says I have to make it work no matter what, or I'm fearful of, of what people will think of me, or I'm, uh, my parents tell me I need to just suck it up and go back into the relationship, whatever. If you're doing it for some other reason other than it's a good decision, and it's what your heart really true, truly feels is best, you're making it for the wrong decision, and it's always just that bad decision to rush back in after you've been cheated on. But you ask the question, is it worth doing it after someone has had an affair? Only you can answer that question. But I'm always skeptical of, is the person who's wanting you back after their affair, have they actually fucking done something or are they just yammering? Are they just selling? What do salespeople do? You talk and talk. Shitty salespeople, they're always talking. They're always talking. They're always selling. They're trying to ram it down your throat. If, is your partner trying to ram it down your throat? If so, they're not ready. Because someone who's truly done the work after cheating is someone who is a completely different person. And that completely different person is extended over a significant period of time. Because people can change their surface behaviors, but unless they change the core beliefs driving those behaviors, they will revert to the old behaviors. Next question. Um, 
fresh relationship, and he admits how he made mistakes in his relationship. I assume you mean his past relationship. And you ask the question, is this good? Fresh relationship, he admits how he made mistakes in his relationship. Is this good? I think it's good. I mean, assuming his mistakes weren't that he, you know, is mean to cats or, you know, uh, you know, I mean, as long as it, as long as his mistake isn't, well, I cheated twice on my ex. Yeah, no, sorry, I, I'm in no hurry to get into a relationship with you. I'd consider it in the future, but if, you know, you haven't done serious work, you know, so as long as it's within the range of what some normal life mistakes are, sure. I don't, I don't think it's bad to reveal uh, mistakes you've made in a relationship. In fact, I think it's a blessing. I, as long as it's sincere, it's a mark of somebody who... A, uh, reflects on their own behavior, likely uh, feels remorse over it, but also someone who's not afraid to admit their flaws. I'd be more afraid of someone who doesn't admit flaws, someone who says, no, I didn't make any mistakes. It's like, really? Really? Who's, who's that person? Who's the person who doesn't make mistakes? If, ever, if you're ever you know, starting a relationship with someone and they say, oh, no, I didn't make any mistakes in my last relationship, it was all the other person, it's like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, I got it. Ooh, getting late, got to go. Do not get into a relationship with someone who says they made no mistakes in their last relationship. Do not, in my opinion. Why? This is bullshit. You're a non-credible source. If you are the fucking hero or the victim in every single one of your stories regarding your exes and they are always the villain, you are a non-credible source. I simply, I would never believe someone if they say, oh, no, I didn't do anything wrong or I was always, oh, my ex, she was such a blah, 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 and I was always, fuck you. That's not even real. That's not even in the realm of possibility. It saddens me that people still believe that bullshit. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling right after this. Are you finally ready to turn your life around? Finally get the clarity, happiness, and sense of purpose you've been waiting for your whole life? Then go to BadassCounseling.com now and get the international best-selling book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It changed my life. It'll change yours. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I'm just going to do a couple of real quickies here. Um, Sandy asks, are you just a relationship counselor? No, I'm not. I'm actually a soul counselor. My practice is based in Manhattan, um, New York City, and in Fairfield County, Connecticut. I have uh, multiple offices, um, and I have clients around the world. I deal with everything from everything. I am not a psychologist, people. I am not, I stay in my lane, strictly soul counseling, going down to the depths of what the real fucking problems are in people's lives. And this is the shit. It's the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself since you were a kid. Uh, there's another one here that I wanted to look at. Heather Rose, 910, says, how can I get my ex to realize that I never cheated? He's an overthinker, and I want to work things out. Um, how can I get my ex to realize that I never cheated? This is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of accept you where you are at, Heather Rose. Uh, you say, I, how do I get him to accept that I never cheated? I'm going to assume that you have, in fact, never cheated. Now, if you're trying to get your ex to realize that, that you never cheated when, in fact, you did cheat, in other words, how do I lie to my spouse so that they'll think I've never cheated? I'm going to assume that's not the case. I'm going to assume that you never did cheat. 
Um, and if you've got someone in your life who thinks you have cheated and you say he's an overthinker and I want uh, to work things out, um, he stays in his head. You like to talk things out and so forth. How do I get him to realize that I never cheated? Honestly, you just tell the truth. You only have one job, Heather. Tell the truth. The fact that he doesn't believe you in a way that's going to sound cold as shit, it's not your fucking problem. The, the fact that, and I'm all for people trusting their intuition. I'm all for sensing when someone is cheating or might be cheating. I'm all for that. But then there are some people that have so much pain in their past that they are forever in fear mode. And if you haven't cheated and your husband uh, or your lover, um, oh, wait, wait, wait. You said, how can I get my ex to realize that I never cheated? Okay, I got to finish this issue and then I'll come to the fact that you said, how do you get your ex? Yeah, I know, Rob. I know. my It's my eyes, man. I got my fucking glasses here. I'm always getting kidded by people who watch my videos. Hey, love your stupid glasses, meathead. But those stupid glasses, dollar store special, they help. Um, they're just cheaters. Anyway, um, so if you never cheated and if you're with someone who always thinks you're cheating, all you have to do is put your truth out there. And either they believe you if they, and they, or they don't. And if they don't, eventually you're going to get sick of it and you walk away and you'd be nuts not to walk away because you fundamentally got someone who doesn't want to trust you. And it's because of their own pain that they are choosing not to trust someone who does have pain. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. When you allow past relationships, but especially past childhood shit to determine the trajectory of your relationships today. This is why we heal our past people so that the shit, oh, I got cheated on by Paul and by Tom. And so I'm sure that Steve is cheating on me. No, Steve may not be cheating on you at all. But you're so conditioned to being hurt and so fearful of being hurt that you live in that forever anticipatory mode. And like you said here, Heather, you know, um, my ex is an overthinker. And overthinkers, what are they doing? They're gaming out scenarios of how this might end in pain. So they will assume worse, game it out, game it out, so that they can avoid pain. But I missed the word. First time I read this question, I missed the word. You said, how can I get my ex to realize that I never cheated? Heather, who gives a fuck? I'm not trying to be a jerk, but if you are wasting life energy trying to convince your ex that you never cheated, I mean, you can do that. It's your life. Do whatever you want, but fuck it. Move on with your own life and find your joy. In all likelihood, like I just said a minute ago, he's probably stuck in his own beliefs that everyone's cheating or that you cheat. Let him think it. Because the only reason, that, the only thing that I see you gaining from this uh, convincing him you didn't cheat is you feel like your name is expunged that you're exonerated of a crime you never committed. You're wanting his approval of you. You want him, no, I didn't cheat. Okay, I accept you didn't cheat. I, you're great, I accept you. So are you wanting him back? Is that why you want him to think you didn't cheat? Are you wanting his approval and saying, okay, I approve of you? You're wanting something or you're fearing something that if you don't convince him you didn't cheat, you fear that he might think you're the fault in the relationship. And so he can tell that, so fuck it. Fuck it. It's the fucking past. You got to let that shit go, man. So he hates you. So he calls you names. Okay, whatever. I got to get on with my life. Or you want his approval. If you want him back, yeesh, don't go back into a relationship who thinks you're cheating. Don't go back into a relationship with a person who thinks you're cheating when you didn't cheat. That's not somebody you want to be in a relationship with because that's someone who can't trust. Bad idea to get into a relationship with someone who can't trust or won't trust. All right. Uh, next question. What have you got? Oh, Heather responds. There we go. She put in another answer here. Heather says, I want him back. Yes, okay. Heather, 
I'm going to assume you did not cheat on him. If you did not cheat, then he has serious fucking fear inside of him. That means if you get back into a relationship with him, if you were to convince him you didn't cheat, and again, I'm assuming you didn't, if you convince him you didn't cheat and you get back in a relationship, his those fears that are causing him to think you cheat, they're not just magically going the fuck away. He's always going to have those fears because he has such pain from his past that it's driving his present. He can't see that he has a woman in front of him who loves loves him, cares about him, wants a relationship with him, and hasn't cheated. But all he sees is someone who's in front of him. He doesn't know if he can love. He doesn't know if she loves him. He doesn't know if she cheated, but he's pretty convinced she has. So he's in. he's forever in fear mode. He's a deer in the headlights. That's not a recipe for joy. That is not a recipe for peace in your soul. I don't care how nice he can be in his good moments. I don't care how cute he is. I don't care about what kind of job he has or he's good to your kids. I don't care. He doesn't trust you. He doesn't trust life. He is living in fear. Don't get into relationships with people who are living in fear. I mean, you can do what you want. I'd never fucking do it. I want somebody who's healed their fucking fears so that we're both coming from a place of peace. Heather, don't do it. Do the grieving, do your journaling, do your work, write the letters to him that you don't send and don't give to him so that you can flush it all out, but you got to move on because you're dealing with someone until he gets over all of his fears and pain from his past, you are walking into a fucking time bomb. All right, next question. Here we go. How to get over him? It's been two months and I'm still hurting. Uh, Well, let me ask you this. Are you getting your pain out? Are you talking about this with your counselor or with your clergy person or with your best friend? Are you giving words to your hurting? The truth is, when you've been in a relationship, especially if you've been in one a long time, it takes time to grieve. You know who you need to be careful of when you're considering going into a new relationship? People who haven't grieved. I was counseling a woman, a client uh, yesterday, and she said, you know, I don't understand. He said he loves me. He said he loves me, and then instantly he's just off. When we break up for like two seconds, he's off in a new relationship. It caused me to think he didn't love me, and what I have to say is there are people who can't bear to deal with loss, and they can't bear to be alone, and she had just gotten done telling me she hates being alone because all of her feelings and bad feelings about herself rise up, and I said, well, is it possible that your ex hates being alone too? And so he just jumps right into a new relationship. Some people can't bear to touch their feelings. And so you asking me this question, how do I get over him? It's been two months and I'm still hurting. It says to me, you've still got feelings inside of you. You're admitting it. I have feelings of hurt inside of me. You have to keep flushing them out until they are done. And yes, the pain does end. Pain ends. And there are going to be a lot of people in your life that sell you that pain doesn't end. And I have worked with people over 30 years in all types of trauma, every type of loss, every type of fear, every single one that you can imagine that you've lived through, I've experienced it within clients, some of it in my own life, okay? And pain can end if you do the work of flushing it out. Next question. And so to answer your question, how do you get over it? Just keep flushing it out. And as you all know, journaling, counseling, putting it into words, writing poetry, whatever you need to do, but finding the words for it and keep flushing it out. Um, someone says, uh, can you please tell us more about fear? I'm happy to, but I need a more specific question than that, except that it'll kill your life. Fear, you have to understand, fear and happiness are inversely correlated. That's a mathematics term. And it simply means the more you have of one, the less you're going to have of the other. The more fear you have, the less happiness you're going to have. Nothing will kill fear. Nothing will kill happiness like fear. And you don't, you can't force yourself to be happy if you have massive fear and pain inside of you. You actually have to get it out. 
Um, all right. But if you have more questions on fear, just say the word. We don't have to address breakups tonight. I'm taking all questions. I was just offering that as an uh, thought. Uh, right. Miss Kim 43 says, are there any good books for overthinkers? Um, yeah, honestly, um, get a book, uh, a notebook of paper, buy one of these things known as a pen and start writing out because overthinking is driven by fear, fear of future pain. And so we game out scenarios in our head of what this potential scenario or what this potential decision might lead to. What's the pain it might lead to? We take it out to its logical or often illogical conclusion and we look at what the pain might be. And then we take some other course because anybody who's doing overthinking has had pain in their past and they're trying to avoid pain in their present and in their future. So they'll game out every single scenario as a way to avoid it. And the way to do it is to flush out all of those fears and anxieties. But if you actually want to solve the problem permanently, you go back and you begin to name what the pains were in your past, who hurt you in the past, how they hurt you in the past, how that felt, flushing all of that out, because that's what causes you to live in fear today. It's fear of the very pains that you experienced when you were four or eight or 14 or 18 or all of those ages, because that's what's conditioned you to overthink things now. It's a, it's a self-protection mechanism. I'm gonna overthink everything, game out all possible scenarios, because I don't wanna get hurt again because I've experienced so much that, and it feels so fucking awful. I don't wanna experience that ever again. Thank you very fucking much. Next question. All right, question is this. How do I stop caring about what my parents think of me, even though they hurt me so much? Okay, uh, we're just gonna step right through this very, very quickly, and that is, um, if you're caring about what your parents think of you, that implies you're still wanting something from them. And you have to be able to name in your journaling, write down, get out of you, what precisely it is you're still wanting from them. The biggest thing that when I get plenty of clients, actually I have had a couple already this evening, Rob, haven't we, who were considering basically aborting their parents or their relationship with their parents. And um, very often what they come back to is, wow, it's my parents. and But it's not that. Oh, you know, I can't walk away from my parents. They're my parents. This is family or some bullshit. No, it's because you're still wanting something. You're still wanting something. You care about your parents, even though they've hurt you so much, you still want something from them. What do you want? And then answer that and then say, and if you got that from your parents, then what would you feel? Then what would you get? Well, if I got my parents' approval, then finally I could have a relationship with them. Ah, so you're still wanting some sort of relationship with them. Yeah, well then what would you get from that relationship? Well, I guess I'd finally get that loving acceptance that I never got as a kid, exactly. And usually that conversation about, you know, I can't let go of my parents or I can't stand up my parents, it's because somebody is still wanting something from their parents. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a very human desire. We all want that. But if you're not getting it and not getting it and not getting it and they're hurting you on top of that, what you then have is you have a pattern of behavior that you have witnessed on behalf of your parents. So if you're 35, you have a 35-year pattern of behavior exhibited by your parents that they are not meeting your needs, they are not giving you the approval, the acceptance, or the acknowledgement that you seek and you've been wanting for so long, but also they're hurting you on top of that. So you have a 35-year pattern of behavior of someone hurting you and not meeting your needs, and yet you keep holding on. You keep hoping, expecting that pattern of behavior to break. And the likelihood of a 35-year pattern of behavior or even a 10-year pattern of behavior breaking is highly unlikely. And so one of the grand, hard, difficult days of life 
for those who have to face it. And we each face different hard days. But that grand day of for those who have to face it, of realizing I'm never going to get my needs met by my parents. They've never been interested in giving me that approval or they've always hurt me. It's always been this way. This realization, I'm never going to get what I want from my parent or parents. It's a powerful day. In a way, it's simultaneously uh, from the many, 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 many clients and friends and lovers over the years who have talked to me about this. They say, Sven, it's simultaneously the saddest day of my life and the most liberating day of my life. Saddest because I'm never going to get that parental love and acceptance and caring and approval and so forth. But I'm also free of trying to please them. I've spent my whole goddamn life contorting myself to try to win their approval or put on the right mask to make them like me or have them be kind to me or just a caring word or them to put me in the center of the world just for a moment because they've always put themselves at the center of the world or the center of the universe. And I've been trying my whole life and I'm finally liberated from trying. I can finally live my own damn life. Next question. All righty. Advice for someone thinking of dropping out of school. Well, I'm going to assume that you are not in eighth grade, in which case I would say stay in school uh, or in high school or elementary school. I'm going to assume that you are in college and that this is your decision to make. Um, if it feels right, then go with what feels right. I'm guessing there might be some pressure to stay in and uh, from very often parents or family or uh, maybe society or friends, whatever, you have to ask yourself, am I okay? If this feels right to me, am I okay being ostracized by them or being criticized by them? And if you're not okay, you're going to come under a lot of heat and it's going to hurt you a lot more than if you are okay with that. You've gone through your own work and uh, your inner self and you realize I need to do this for me. And if you don't approve, okay, fuck off, I guess, whatever, I have to do this for me. Um, regarding quitting school, I quit school, college, one, two, three, three or four times. At one point, I quit one semester before graduation. Took a couple years off. I know it seems insane. I didn't care. It felt right to me at the time. Took a year or two off, whatever. Um, and then I ended up going back when I knew I was ready to go back. Went back to a different school. Graduated in a year, summa cum laude, um, when I hadn't been previously. And I loved it. And it was one of the best years of college in my life. Um, I am an advocate of following your heart and trusting that it is leading you and that these threads that seem so random in your life will weave into a tapestry later, a beautiful one, if you have the courage to trust where your heart is leading you. But if you're coming under the gun from parents or society or whatever saying, no, you just got to make money. And if it doesn't make money right now, it's the wrong path. It has to make money right now. Fuck that. Fuck that. How about the long arc of a life, that, which is based on being happy. I worked in restaurants for years and other jobs for years while I was going through college and graduate school and even afterwards when I was building, building my career and writing books and so forth. And I didn't mind it. I actually enjoyed working odd jobs and paying my bills and meeting amazing people. But I was on my path. I'm of the belief I would much rather even just fail on my path than succeed on someone else's path for my life. And that's just me. I just, I, I never see people at the 40 or 50 or 60 year mark who spent their lives living uh, other people's shoulds and expectations. I, I, I've never seen them happy. In fact, those are the people who come to me, very successful. My practice is in Manhattan. You know, I had closed during COVID, but it's in Manhattan. I, I deal with the richest of the rich, the most successful of the successful in academia, politics, uh, entertainment, finance, you name it. And very often they've reached the very zenith of their career. 
making just ungodly amounts of money or having massive fame or whatever, and they're miserable inside. That's because back at 20 and 25, they said, well, I got to make money. I'm going to listen to society and I'm just going to do because you got to make money and don't make any bad mistakes. Don't get criticized. Fuck that. You have to live authentically. Go 100 miles in the, an hour in the direction of your dreams. Work your ass off at what you fucking believe in. Be willing to take the odd jobs. Be willing to just work, grit, work, but pursue your fucking passion. I'm going to be taking more questions. But right now, let's take a quick break. I'll be back with more badass counseling. It took me to the place that scared me the most. The crap I've been running from my whole life. The stuff that's been dragging me down. And it literally began the healing. I feel lighter, clearer, and just happier. Finally, some freaking peace. You got to get this book. There's a hole in my love cup. Or the do-it-yourself video courses. All at BadassCounseling.com. It's totally killer stuff. Back with more to kick your ass. Here's Sven. Can I just say how much I love the theme music for my uh, podcast here? Uh, All of the music is original music by the great composer Trevor Morris. And I'm a big, big fan um, of his music, of the man. And uh, he did music for our show. And uh, anyway, I just, I love that. All right, back to work here, people. All right, there are two good questions that came up on my screen. Uh, One is by Jody Scott, 12. I feel like I'm just waiting constantly, no matter what is going on. 33 years married and no one gets it. Jody, what are you waiting for? Waiting to be seen? Waiting for life to get happy? What are you waiting for? I mean, that, that, that question or that statement alone, I'm just waiting. I'm married. No one gets it. I mean, do you hear the, the desperation, the sadness, the remorse in that statement? It's just such a beautiful statement. Even if I don't hear see a follow-up for what your actual question is, Jody, I want to thank you for that because it's just such a beautiful line of sort of remorse and sorrow. Um, so thank you for that line at the very least. Um, purple people, 63. Wait a minute, purple people. Is that my purple people eaters, the Vikings? Uh, if so, and even if it's not so, I'm going to answer this question. I've been divorced for three years after a 34-year marriage. I'm ready to date. Any advice on dating sites? Um, well, first, advice on dating. I hope you've gotten all the pain and the fears and the bullshit beliefs about yourself out of you from the past relationships. Been flushing out all of the shit. If you have, then you're ready to move forward into dating. On dating sites, if I'm really, really honest, I am not up to speed on the latest and greatest ones. I am not the one to ask about that. Assuming you're wanting a real relationship, though, versus just the hookup, I would recommend doing the math. I mean, it's a Google search. I met my present... Uh, girlfriend, we've been together nine years on OkCupid. It worked for me. Um, I used to get kidded. Let me tell you guys this before I take the next question. <laughs> I loved online dating. You want to know why? I, I loved it. I was living in California at the time, and um, I, I had my business out there, and and uh, I had gone to graduate school out there, and I'd lived there off and on over the years. Blah blah blah. I loved online dating. You want to know why? Because one of the things I hate about dating in general, or I don't hate it, it's just a pain in the ass. I mean, you sit in front of a person and on the date, and you know, they look good on paper, lovely person in person, but you gotta go through that whole process of getting to know each other before you realize, is this person even in the ballpark 
of what I'm looking for, let alone in the infield. Not, the, I mean, hopefully on home plate, but that's a process of discerning that. And so what I decided to do for me personally, and it's kind of a ballsy, ridiculous, dumb, but I felt it was smart and I still do, thing that I do is in sales, in business, they talk about leads versus qualified leads. If you get a lead on a particular sale, it's somebody who's left a flyer or went into a store and gee, they happen to be in our store. And if we got their name, that's a lead. At least they happen to be in our store. But a qualified lead is someone who is Talk to one of our salespeople. They can't afford it. They are, you know, we're a furniture store, let's say, and they are refined. They, they got a second mortgage. They want to do a total rehab of all their furniture, and they've left our name, and they've already talked to Scott, the salesperson, and they've said, yes, Scott draws up, a, you know, potentially we want to look at a sales plan. In other words, they've shown more than just passing interest. It's a qualified lead. Well, I went into dating with that mentality for myself, and this may be too, too gutsy or crazy or just plain stupid for most people, but <laughs> so many people on dating websites, they'll put a minimum amount of information out there. And then they'll say, well, I want to meet the person and then I'll open up as we go. And for me, it's like, if I can open up as we go, then this is just me. All right. But it's just like, I don't want to waste five fucking dates finding out shit about you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put everything out there everything out there about me so you know everything about me so that when it comes time and even if you don't put everything about out you even if you don't put everything out there about you on your site you're going to know everything about me that means when we're sitting there on that first date you are now a I am now a qualified lead you are now a qualified lead in other words I know that you know my shit about me and yes, I even used to put my penis size out there. So I just said, I'm average, here it is, whatever. I, no, I didn't put up pictures. <laughs> but I just said, I'm average. And if that's an issue for you, God bless you. Go have your life, but I'm not your guy. So I would put everything out there, all my types of favorite types of music, all my failures, everything. Everything. And then I know if the person sitting across from me is in the infield. Because clearly they're okay with my shit. Then it's just my job to discern their shit. And I'm a pretty quick study in people. I've been in my relationship for nine years. Single best relationship I've ever been in, in my entire life. I'm a fan of putting your shit out there. But it requires the balls to be rejected. Are you willing to be rejected? You know, this is the thing. Back when I was a pastor and, you know, I had a regular parish and was preaching from the pulpit, I believe that the pastor's job or any leader's job is to put your own struggles out there and get, and help people see your uh, struggles, your questions, and the resolutions you've found. Showing them a way through the questions. But if you're not wrestling with the questions, and if you're not real and putting your nuts out there, what are you giving people to bite into and actually you know, find resolution and know that shit works? All right. Uh, Skull Candy Bracelet says, I'll do anything for attention, even stay in an abusive relationship as a result. Why am I like this? All right, I'm going to read it one more time. I'll do anything for attention. I'll even stay in an abusive relationship as a result. Why am I like this? I'll tell you why you're like this. When we're children, children have very basic needs. Every child is going through life with a love cup, carrying around a cup saying, I need love, I need love. They're not aware that they're doing this, but every child, every person is going through life, even in adulthood, trying to get love poured into their love cup. But if no one poured love into your love cup when you were a child, or worse, if crud, Manure, dog shit, rocks were put in your love cup in, a, in the form of criticism, put downs, 
disappointment in you as a person and that sort of thing. So you got crud put in your love cup instead of love poured into your love cup. Or if someone basically taught you the message that who I don't even see you, you don't even matter. You just exist to meet my needs. You exist to be my mini me or be my psychologist or you exist to just stay silent. I don't want to hear about your feelings. That has the effect of poking a hole in that bottom of that love cup. In other words, the love cup doesn't get love poured in and get shit pulled, put into it or it gets a hole popped in the bottom. In other words, love can never accumulate. So someone who has had their love cup, who has gotten messages of their lack, not just lack of worth, but their lack of mattering, they're not lovable, guess what they're going to do when they make the transition from 8 to 10 to 12, now 13, 14, 15, when people start, when their sexuality begins to come alive, or they begin to start to be interested in dating, or they begin to notice, you know, other genders and so forth. Well, guess what happens when someone, or it may not even be in the form of love and dating, it may be in the form of a peer group or friendships. What happens if someone's not been given love growing up or they've only been given criticism and put downs? What happens when they meet someone who walks into their life who pours a bit of love into their love cup? You know what they're going to do? They're going to hold on to that person. They're going to hold on no matter what. Oh my God, I've never felt love before. I've never felt somebody actually giving a shit about me. I've never felt someone actually seeing me and caring. I've never felt a group of friends that, you know, gives a crap about me. And this is how people fall into gangs. This is how people fall into, uh, you know, giving away their sexuality at a very young age. This is how people latch on to someone else, or it can be in a positive direction. I've never had anyone who gave me love. And now I've got these teachers in school giving me appreciation. You wonder how somebody becomes a great student? They become motivated by teachers who give a shit when they, no one has ever given a shit about them before. So the question this listener asks is, um, I'll do anything for attention, even stay in an abusive relationship as a result. Why am I like that? Because at some point, you got some love from this person you've been in a relationship with. At some point, at the very least, they stayed that you've been trying to sell people, you've been trying to do everything you can to just get one person who stays, even if they're not pouring more than one drop of love, one breadcrumb, we call it breadcrumbing nowadays, but one drop of love into your love cup. The mere fact that someone is there, do you know what that person exists for? The mere fact that they are in your life, present in your life is a counter message to all the messages you've been getting growing up. You're not lovable. You're not wantable. You don't matter. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're unworthy of love. You're, you're not wanted. The mere fact that someone stays says, well, I, clearly I am lovable. Clearly I am wantable. Your presence confirms that. So you will hold on to that person. You'll give them everything. They'll take your money. They'll beat you. They'll be cruel to your kids. You'll let them do anything because they have to stay because as long as they stay, they are a confirmation of your worth. They are your own twisted validation of your worth because they're a counter message to everything you've been taught about yourself. It's not even just that, oh, this is all I believe I'm worthy of. It's that the mere fact that they stay, I will do anything to keep you because you are an, a, a counter message. You're an invalidation of the crappy messages I got. You are a validation of my goodness. And if you walk away, if you leave, all of a sudden I'm alone with all those messages that I suck, I'm unwantable, I'm unlovable. All right, next question. And I think this is going to be the last one or one more after this. All right, uh, this is a great question. And this is one I see particularly with young people nowadays. 
With everything going on, how do you find reason to want to build anything? I love that. There was an old saying in, in, uh, back in the day, and it said, you know, if you're a plumber on the Titanic, what do you do? <laughs> well, you do what plumbers do. You bail water. Even if the ship's going down, you bail water. Uh, you say, you know, with all that's going on, how do you find reason to want to build anything? You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. It's your life. Spend it the way you want. I personally, I believe in making the world a better place. I don't have the ability to solve the political problems of the world. I don't have a, the ability to solve the medical problems of the world. That's not my fort. Uh, and yes, it is fort and not forte. It's not a French word. Its roots are Latin. And in Latin, you don't pronounce the E at the end of the word. So technically, it's fort, not forte. But anyway, um, with everything that's going on in the world, how do you find reason to want to build anything? I believe in building. I believe in optimism um, realism too, sure, but I believe in love. I, at the very least, there are children in this world. There are existing children in this world that I'd like to make the world a better place for. There are old people who are being kept alive that maybe want to pass away. I believe in, you know, helping them have a peaceful ending to their life. And I want to do what I can to ease people's pain. I want to build things that make life better for other people. I want to do things with my life that ease people's pain. Why do I build this? Why do I spend my days waking up to do this? Do you think it's for the money? It's not for the fucking money. I was doing this when I wasn't getting paid a fucking penny. I spent two and a half years living on the street, ministering to the homeless, sleeping on concrete every night. I had drained my bank account, giving away, giving away all my life possessions. Why? Because I believe in going where the need is greatest. And so I went and I worked on the streets of Oakland, California, slept on the streets of Oakland, California. All right. Why build something, you know, considering all that's going on in the, in the world? What else are you going to do? I believe in grit. I believe in hard work. I believe in doing shit that lasts and matters and helps other people and that feels good to me. You don't see me in politics. You don't see me in medicine. You don't see me in religion anymore, but I'm working in, in this particular field of healing souls. Why? Because it feels good to me. I'm fun. It's fun for me and I enjoy it and I'm good at it. But I build things. And why do we build things in life? It's because we believe in them. We want to make the world a better place. And that's why we build things. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's what I think. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this lightning round of Badass Counseling. I believe in hope, people. I believe in new life. And I believe in healing. You got to do the work of healing yourself. This has been a lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show. It's been so great having you here. Thank you for your questions. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.